see on the roads, we have bike lanes everywhere. This is a biking, uh, walking, scootering, golf carting community. I'm zipping around in a golf cart in a new subdivision in one of the fastest growing areas in Colorado. I hope everybody's on. I took off for a look back. <laughs> My guide is Harold Smethills. He's the founder of Sterling Ranch, which is branded as a water smart housing development. He's searching for savings everywhere, even in the flushes of toilets. One of the biggest water wasters you have is your toilet. The flapper valve wears out after five years. So you don't even hear it, but it's, it's leaking. So a million little things like that. Harold was a banker for 37 years and has been passionate about water his entire career. His mission with Sterling Ranch is to build a development that provides that wide open space that many come to expect in Colorado. His focus is to do so as sustainably as possible, particularly around water consumption. There are these wide streets with roundabouts and bike lanes, golf cart paths tucked next to open fields with grazing cattle. We're trying to get goats, we haven't had success. Goats are at such a premium, we haven't been able to find any. But goats are, you know, the goats will eat the noxious weeds the cows won't touch. Everybody has a dog. Brand new houses can be seen in almost every direction. Some of them aren't even finished yet. All are backdropped by the mountains off to the west. Sterling Ranch is located in northwest Douglas County. They first broke ground in 2015 on more than 3,000 acres. Harold and his family are planning for 12,000 homes. In order to gain permission to build, they had to outline a clear plan for providing sustainable water for the community for the next 100 years. We are building what's known as a closed loop system where um, everything you use in your home, we recover at a water reclamation plant and then exchange that for fresh water on the river. So um, every drop you use in the home, we get back. Harold wants to be part of the solution. We're the state's only rainwater harvesting site. We changed the law. We went through the legislature in 2008 to let Sterling Ranch be a test site so we can catch rainwater, put it in lakes, and then retime it to go back on the lawn. Harvesting rainwater might not seem like a big deal, but when you're in a state with water rights, every drop counts. And so each home has a water budget. And um, the way we administer that, we have on station a, uh, an employee of our district a licensed architect who goes through with you how much water you're going to use. And each home, depending on the size of the lot, has a water budget for outdoor usage. What Sterling Ranch is trying to do is make the homeowner water conscious, including one of the biggest uses of water in suburban environments, lawns. Outdoor irrigation is the enemy of water sustainability. So to the extent you're able to reduce outdoor irrigation, you are able to better sustain the water you have. Because what you use in the home, we get back at the water reclamation facility. That stays in the system. 
Sterling Ranch is working with Dominion Water, trying to serve as an example in water sustainability. Their hope is to inspire others to move away from non-renewable groundwater sources. From the very beginning, we wanted a renewable-based system because if the aquifer declines, everybody knows who built it. And so you're, when your name's on the door, you're very careful about having a reliable water supply. So we invested the money to get renewable water. The need to use every drop of water multiple times over matters. 80% of the precipitation falls on the western side of the Continental Divide, but 90% of Colorado's population lives to the east in the Front Range. As the urban corridor continues to grow rapidly, the need for water is even more urgent. And often that water is coming from somewhere else. Flowing through San Luis, water in our veins, the lifeblood of our culture, aquifers and rains. This time on Water Under Pressure, the Front Range Perspective. What are the water needs for a growing city? And is water from the San Luis Valley really the only solution? We are all Colorado, our future to choose. With water on the table, there's so much to lose. My name is Kristen Uhlenbrock, and from the Institute for Science and Policy, this is episode four. When I moved to Castle Rock in 2000, there was 18,000 people in Castle Rock, and now there's 85,000. So it shows you the amount of growth. But there were small communities. I would almost say back This is Ron Red. Castle Rock is one of four cities in Douglas County. Back in the 80s, Ron says it was a one-streetlight town. At the time, the water source designated for the township was the Denver Basin, a series of aquifers that span a major part of the Front Range. But because of population growth, the water is being pumped way faster than it can be replaced, commonly known as non-renewable in water speak. Because the Denver Basin wells are so deep that they don't get recharged from snowmelt or rainwater. And there's a lot of impervious material between us and them. So our best aquifer is the Arapaho Aquifer. It's 2,000 plus feet down, so it's a long ways down there. But back in the- This is the third aquifer down out of four in the Denver Basin. Eventually, digging deeper to pump water might become cost prohibitive. Not to mention that it's not sustainable. So water suppliers are constantly looking for better solutions for their customers. Um, will you describe what we're looking at right now? Sure. So <laughs> what you're looking at is about 18,500 acre feet of water. It's currently sitting about 92 feet deep. So it's a fairly deep reservoir. It looks pretty impressive. I'm standing on the shores of the Ruder Hess Reservoir with Ron, who is the general manager for Parker Water, and the engineering director, Rebecca Tejada, 
They provide water to about 60,000 Douglas County customers today, and they're planning for double that in the coming years. Ultimately, we'll have 75,000 acre feet of water and it'll be 165 feet deep. So we got a long ways to go. Parker Water is aware of its supply and demand challenges. The aquifers are already in steady decline, and it's been getting worse for years. That's why Ron's predecessor started planning for the Ruder Hess Reservoir Storage Project back in 1985. They realized that they needed to find storage because when there is renewable water, river runoff type water, it comes in bunches and then there's none for a long time. So we needed a place to stuff that water when it was available and, and it was actually completed in 2012. The reservoir can hold 75,000 acre-feet of water. It's July 2022, and it's about a quarter full. So it's, it's doing what it's supposed to do. We built it up when the water is available, and we're drawing it down as we use it. Currently, it, it's about 35 to 40 percent of our water supply. Uh, Parker, water Parker Water also uses groundwater, treated wastewater, and water bought from other providers to supply their customers. And while they have the reservoir, they currently have a gap in their supply side based on projected population growth in the coming years. So they're making plans for another big project. This one is along the South Platte River. So we are under a compact agreement with Nebraska and Wyoming um, where we have to send a certain amount of flow there um, every year on an annual basis. And we regularly exceed that amount. And so when we see exceed that amount, that is water that technically is Colorado water that's leaving the state. So this is Rebecca Tejada. She's leading up efforts to capture that excess water and secure additional water rights. Parker Water currently owns farms and has some senior water rights in the South Platte watershed, which meanders through the northeastern plains of Colorado hundreds of miles away from Douglas County. But in order to access those, we would need to dry up those farms, which has been something that Colorado has done in the past. Um, but it's not something that we want to do here at Parker Water. We want to keep those farms in operation and keep that culture of agriculture along the South Platte. So she and Ron have been sitting down and listening and learning from communities. They want to do things differently. We really wanted to ingrain ourselves into that community so that we could start understanding how they operate on the South Platte so that we wouldn't have a negative impact on them. And so we started talking with them and telling them how we needed to shore up our supply. The wide world of water management is full of different ways to use, move, and conserve. And in a complex system, it's helpful to have coalitions and partners. That's what Parker Water is trying to do with this new project called the Platte Valley Water Partnership, or the co-op as they refer to it. It hasn't really been contentious. And I think it, the reason is, you know, we were working with the co-op and, and we, we are fully transparent when we say the original plan was the traditional buy the farms, dry them up, and bring the water in. That's how you develop water in, in Colorado. But the co-op is where we started hearing and listening to the farmers out there and what best works for them. 
The partnership was established to create storage for Douglas County to draw on that excess water when needed. That storage is also a valuable asset for farmers who are part of the co-op. It's absolutely a win-win, and that, that's the way we're trying to design the project. With water in such high demand, instances where there is excess seem like big opportunities. That's what Parker Water is banking on. This project could provide water for almost 300,000 people in Douglas County, if it gets completed. The fact that we're starting five years ago, honestly, in this process um, for a project that will likely be online in 2040 is that it, it builds that, that trust. Trust. Something that seems to be in short supply in the water conversations I've been part of. Whether it's the history of buy and dry deals or concerns about drinking water or projects that harm the environment, mistrust is real and runs deep. But in order to build these massive infrastructure projects, trust between communities and water providers seems to be key. But also a solid plan, political support, and money. You know, I think part of my job is, is not to do things to people, but with them. This is Abe Layden, one of three Douglas County commissioners. You know, an issue as controversial as water does spark a lot of emotion, a lot of just intrinsic value issues and cultural issues related to particular communities. He's been in office since 2018. And, and I'll be honest, you know, Kristen, most people will never know what a county commissioner is. I knocked on probably 10,000 doors when I first was running for office. And, you know, people are like, are you a, a football commissioner? Are you like, you know, Commissioner Gordon from Batman? What, what is this? Douglas County commissioners are making decisions for things like zoning, health, and safety for their nearly 400,000 residents. And while he appreciates the work of Congress members, he wants to be the local guy, the one you bump into at the grocery store. Abe's a fifth-generation Coloradan, and he loves Douglas County. It's a beautiful county that has a lot of parks, open space, and rural communities, but interspersed within the natural surroundings are urban landscapes and suburban areas. Douglas County is also one of the wealthiest in the nation. Abe attributes these factors to why the area is one of the fastest growing in Colorado. We're adding about 24 people per day to the county. And so the demands on the county and on our home building community to ensure that when you turn the tap, you know, water comes out of it is, is really significant. Providing water is fundamental to whether that growth can continue to happen. Limiting growth isn't something that you hear politicians campaign on. But the constraints on such a vital resource, like water, mean that decisions need to be made with a long-term lens. We're not different than most counties in the state and most locations in the West. We're dry. And we realize that as a result of changes in the climate and just the, uh, the, the real 
lack of water resources that we have uh, across the board, we're in a position as county leadership to really identify projects that make sense for water and wastewater, uh, not just for now, but 5, 10, 15, 20 years into the future. And now there's some extra money for these projects. So we received about $68.2 million uh, in ARPA funds. ARPA is the American Rescue Plan Act, a federal stimulus bill that passed in March 2021. And a big part of our conversation as commissioners has, has focused on these water needs and the, the scarcity that we're facing, both in the county and in the West. The money needs to be spent soon. So proposals have been flooding in to help solve some of Douglas County's water needs, including the Platte Valley Partnership, but also a much more controversial one proposed by Renewable Water Resources. As we've discussed, the RWR proposal is a trans-basin pipeline to pump water from the San Luis Valley to the Front Range. And they're seeking $10 million in ARPA funds from the county to help build it. RWR would then charge $19,500 per annual acre foot for that water. Some say, realistically, they would need to charge the county way more than that meaning any municipality that agreed to this deal would be on the hook for tens of thousands of dollars to make up the difference in cost. Cost that would have to be passed on to the customer. Some experts say the proposal is also contrary to the Colorado Water Plan, the guiding document that many point to when making decisions about water. It outlines water projects that make the most sense for the state. The idea of a water plan started back in the 70s, when the federal government asked every state to come up with one. Colorado's first stab at it didn't go over very well. It was dead on arrival when it went out to the rest of the state, so that was not going to happen. This is James Eklund, a water lawyer. He says the problem with the state's first draft water plan was that it was a bunch of bureaucrats sitting around a table making decisions. We put really smart people in a room in Denver and then they baked up a cake in that kitchen, and then they tried to sell the cake to all the other parts of the state. That plan was shelved until decades later when the state was hit by a significant drought. At the time, James was serving as chief legal counsel to then-Governor John Hickenlooper. And in 2013, Hickenlooper signed an executive order directing the development of the state's first water plan. And when... He signed it. He handed me a pen and said, make sure this gets done. With that charge, James had to come up with a better strategy than in the past. Instead of putting a bunch of smart people in the room in Denver, we, we put those smart people in these basin roundtables, and then they came up with regional plans and sent those into Denver, as opposed to Denver baking the cake and sending it out to them. That was, that was much better received. And then I got the opportunity to put that all together into uh, the state's first water plan. The water plan was finalized in 2015 and heralded as a landmark achievement in the water space. It focuses on collaborative projects that provide the most beneficial use to Coloradans while addressing the large gap in water availability to meet all of the demands. It was a bottom-up effort, 
The updated plan will be released in 2023. So far, over 240 water projects have been funded. The RWR proposal, it's not on this list. And again, I want to express my thanks and gratitude to RWR for coming forward with a really uh, interesting yet challenging proposal. Um, it just At one like point, there were more than a dozen proposals before Douglas County commissioners, all looking for a share of that ARPA money. The RWR proposal kept sparking the most debate. Because there were too many hurdles. There were too many fatal flaws in this proposal. Over the course of several meetings in 2021 and 2022, Douglas County commissioners heard input from people in the Valley and across the state, arguments for and against. Um, I believe that if you approve the RWR proposal, you will be doing detrimental things to our fellow Coloradans. Um, Some said that the water of the San Luis Valley is over-appropriated as it is, that there isn't enough for the locals, let alone to spare for the Front Range. Additionally, the optics of this proposal appear to be taking water from a water-stressed rural Hispanic population to provide water to a predominantly white affluent Front Range community. Thank you. The volume of water in the aquifer literally supports the sand dunes. So without the water, we don't have any sand dunes. At one meeting, a farmer stood up and spoke in favor of the proposal. He said it would give folks the chance to cash in on their water rights. After all, he said, RWR was promising a $50 million community development fund that could help the Valley. At another meeting, one person accused the Valley's residents of hoarding water for thirsty crops. He argued that it wasn't fair for so much water to be owned by such a small amount of people. And these are really important decisions that you're making, and I ask you to make them with Colorado in mind and the nation in mind. These are really important resources for all of us. The RWR proposal came up for a vote in May of 2022. One council member voted yes. Another voted no. There was a tie with one vote left. And so I, I suppose as the deciding vote, I, I had to lean on the expertise of our, our water attorney. It's all about evidence. And I, I wanted to hear from experts far wiser than I. Over the course of the RWR meetings, Abe had listened to each stakeholder, to the information presented by RWR and a legal counsel. The facts we were hearing couldn't have been farther apart. Um, one side had one set of facts about um, how positive and beneficial this could be for all the communities involved. You know, the other side couldn't have been more adamant that it was really a net negative for everyone. All eyes were on Abe and his vote. He had to sort through a heap of information and perspectives. The proposal promised a lot and it looked like there might have been some options to move forward. But as we went through this series, uh, you know, our water law expert really was only able to come back with the conclusion that at this time, uh, moving forward on this RWR proposal did not make sense. And that's not to say that we would close the door to any citizen or entity. I mean, we're always open to hearing innovative ideas and, and potential solutions. His vote was no, for now. The legislative hurdles were too big. We were looking for a win-win solution where there was community support, there was buy-in from 
you know, all of the stakeholder groups. Are there win-wins in the water world? It seems as though there will be sacrifices. And those sacrifices might not feel like a win, particularly for farmers. We're shooting watermelons. Greg Brophy is semi-famous in the wide plains of eastern Colorado. The thing I'm probably most famous for with watermelons is, is at the end of harvest, we take the watermelons that are left in the field and we shoot them. Dad, you're a pro! And it's a lot of fun. Three. Greg is a family man and a fourth-generation watermelon grower. We've found some old writings of our ancestors writing letters to each other about where they were setting up homesteads. And even back in 1918, 1920, they were commenting that it's pretty good soil for growing watermelons, which fascinates me because I don't know how these Irish potato growers ended up being watermelon farmers. Greg's been consulting for RWR, and he's also a former state senator. I just have this political itch and I just can't get rid of it, so I um, continue to play around the edges of politics, you know, even now, eight years after I'm out. He has strong beliefs about the value of water for agriculture. Like many of the farmers we've spoken with, Greg talks about how water supports his livelihood. It means everything to the value of our farm, for instance. The, the, the biggest value for our, our family farm comes from the irrigated acreage that, that is worth you know 10 times what the pasture or dryland acreage is worth. It's all because of the water. And whether it's on the eastern plains or the western slope or in the San Luis Valley, Water to farmers can be like a 401k, particularly for the ones with senior water rights. For these farmers, water is an asset that is passed from generation to generation that guarantees some kind of financial future for a family. If there ever comes a time when a farmer wants to get out of the farming business and cash out on that 401k, so to speak, Selling to a company like RWR could be one way to do that. There have been people from, you know, who, who propose to severely limit an individual farmer's right, effectively, to sell that property to the highest bidder for the highest possible use. Those people are usually not the ones who own that water. They're usually folks who recognize the value of that water staying in that community and and in their mind's eyes the value to the community overweighs the property right value that the water owner has so it'd be like telling you you can't sell your car to somebody who doesn't live in your neighborhood or your neighbors like you so much that they don't want you to sell your house and move out of that neighborhood because they'll miss you, because you just add so much to the neighborhood. For Greg, if farmers want or need to sell their water rights, that's their choice. Knowing that I have that out to, to sell it if I want to, it gives me actually the, you know, that, that the comfort, the, the insurance 
of being the eternal optimist that all farmers are. We always think next year's crop is going to be bigger and the prices are going to be better. We always think that. Farming is full of challenges and uncontrollable factors. It's a very risky business. But Greg sees the ability to sell water rights as a possible lifeline for farmers, even if other residents of the valley object to that water leaving the community forever. Water is one of those things I I think that most people take for granted, but in agriculture and in rural Colorado, it's, it's everything. He believes that public awareness of these issues needs to be happening now. And we need to stop punting difficult choices into the future. I think what's missing is the same thing that's missing when they don't think about electricity or their sewage system or running out of toilet paper or the other food stuff. We've had it so good for so long. We have multiple generations now that have never been without. And so we just take it for granted. And we just assume that it's always going to work until it doesn't. And then it's too late. People get hurt. And I kind of want to avoid that. And I I think we can. But it's not going to be easy. This problem is not easy to solve. I hear that over and over and over. And I think one of the biggest reasons comes down to a clash of values. Because while we all value water, we value it differently. What water means to a farmer is different than what it means for a river guide. What water means to you is different than what it means to me. So how can we rethink these differences and the trade-offs that inevitably come with change in a way that doesn't pit urban versus rural, in a way that shifts from conflict to compromise, in a way that brings long-term thinking into short-term decisions? Next time in our final episode, we point our eyes towards the future and what might be a path forward. Flowing through San Luis, water in our veins, the lifeblood of our culture, aquifers and rains. Water Under Pressure is a production of the Institute for Science and Policy at the Denver Museum of Nature and Science and in partnership with House of Pod. Episodes are hosted and written by me, Kristen Uhlenbrock, and producer Kat Jaffe, with the help of producer Anne-Maria Wad, Nicole Delaney, and Kate Long. Our theme music is by Alex Paul of Birds of Play. Our episode composition is by Jesse Boynton, with tracks from Epidemic Sounds. For a full list of credits, check out the show notes. For more information and additional resources on water in the San Luis Valley and Greater Colorado, please visit waterunderpressure.org. If you have learned something new from this show, please tell us and rate and review Water Under Pressure wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for subscribing and sharing the program with others. See you next time. We are all Colorado 
our future to choose with water on the table. There's some 